When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. How's it going and welcome to episode 90 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. And once again, joined by Kevin Hastings, who should be followed on the Twitter at HastingKevin. And we have had quite the 48 hours, Kevin, that's putting this together. And we're going to randomly throw out an episode on a Thursday, which we don't typically do. But so much has gone on, not only since the last time we recorded, but just in the last 24 to 48 hours. Have you kept up with everything? I'd like to say yes, but that would be naive. Not necessarily a lie, but it would be naive because so much stuff is coming out. It, this is amazing. Rem- remember the, when this is what the winter meetings met, meant for us? It's been a few years. We haven't had a typical off-season in a long time. And here we are, winter meetings going on. And I was a little skeptical that that we might have been getting a little overexcited about this week, but I was wrong. And that's a good thing because this has been amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This reminds me of like when the lockout was lifted and then all of a sudden everybody was signing last year. I don't remember an actual winter meeting like in a normal offseason being this aggressive. Not only with you don't really see big trades. We haven't really seen any big trades either here, but even the amount of signings that we see before at the winter meetings or before the calendar flips is, especially the big names, is pleasantly surprising. So there's a lot to go over, and that's literally what this whole episode's going to be about. We're going to be talking, breaking down as much of this as we can, but we need some help. So we brought in some backup, brought in a great guest, bringing back to the show, Mike Curlin of Gaining the Edge, The Athletic. He's also the co-host of the Bases Loaded podcast. You should be following him on the Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. Links to all his work can be found in the episode description. And Mike is joining us on short notice to help make sense of all of these moves the best we can in short order from the winter meetings. But before we get into all that, Mike... Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time and jumping in, man. How you doing? Oh, I'm great. Appreciate you guys having me on. You guys are always fun to talk to and shoot the stuff with. On see Nick, if you're listening, I didn't curse. <laughs> there we go. Nice <laughs> stuff with. Good catch. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's always fun to catch up with you guys, man. You guys are two of my favorites, honestly, to talk to and hang out with in the industry. You guys are awesome. You guys are always. This podcast is pretty underrated as a whole, so I'm always glad to be a part of it. I appreciate that, Mike. You're you've been busting butt, if you will, as well, keeping your all your stuff in order, not only between getting the edge and the stuff you do with the athletic, but the Google sheet that you're updating throughout the off season. Like the last time you were on last time you were on the show, we just talked about your lineup tracker. It's gone beyond that. 
Yeah, it's it often does, and that's what the, that's the problem with me. Is like, yeah, I found my happy place, and then I'm like, here's a little more to add, and then now I'm behind on the sheet, and honestly, I've borderline given up because I was already behind because the holiday hit. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like a week or so behind. That's not too bad. I can go back. There's like a few names to add, and now it's I don't know where to start. Like, <laughs> I was already a week or so behind, and now do I just call it quits on this? It, it was a side project anyway to help pass the time. Like you mentioned, this mm-hmm. doesn't happen like this usually. Yeah. <laughs> So I was expecting to be able to, I expected this to be a lingering project because it had nothing else now because I had nothing else to do, but no, I have too much to do now. Now I'm over here like another project failed. Yay. But it was fun while it lasted. Like actually it opened my eyes to a lot of players for like deeper formats early on, which was really nice. A lot of those 40 man fringe types that playing time opens up injuries, et cetera. Okay, cool. I have round 40 through round 50 picks in November because that's something I need in my life. What type of degenerate am I? But yes, that was like what came from it. But man, now I'm like, so I don't want to promote something. I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to catch up yeah. on. But yes, I am doing a lot of content. Mostly right now in the off season, I'm focusing on the Patreon, which you mentioned, Gaining the Edge. It's our patreon.com slash gaining the GTE, sorry, slash GTE fantasy. But also the free content is on YouTube right now, GTE fantasy on YouTube, where I'm pumping out YouTube shorts, doing the same thing on TikTok. And it's just all this information, these trade and signings, I'm throwing them up there. Tidbits, my little tweets I put out, some of that information, all these like little shorts. I actually have a video I'm recording, finishing up uh, editing today to post about a couple of these under, uh, a couple under the radar signings, which we'll probably end up talking about today anyway. So don't, you don't have to watch that video, but watch the rest of the videos. <laughs> watch the rest of the videos. No, uh, the YouTube's been like a pet project of mine this off season. Oh, we won't publish this episode until Thursday. So if you get this done, time. you have time. Get it out tonight and everybody can look at that before they listen to us. Yeah, but there's, there, that's where it comes down to is do as much as possible. <laughs> it's December. There's only so much content out there. Just absorb it all. Even if it's the same thing twice, who cares? And there are only so many drafts you can enter, right, Mike? My wallet is the only thing stopping yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, like we said, there's a ton of stuff to go over. Let's just get into it. This is the whole episode. We're going to go team by team. And then there's some lingering questions that come along with each move. So first, I'm going to start off with my Red Sox because lo and behold, they actually made a move that for somewhat makes sense. They haven't signed Xander yet, at least not at the time of this recording, but they did find a closer. Kenley Jansen signs a two-year deal with them after signing Chris Martin to a like minded two-year deal a few days ago or about a week ago as well. So it looks as though they've got themselves an actual bullpen It and without any kind of real controversy pending any injuries or anything like that. Mike, let's start here with you. There's a lot of other closers still out in the market or wannabe closers, if you will, guys who want to be a closer. They have some closing experience in the past. Do you think that there is one of those closers still on the market? Do you fi- do they find themselves going into a situation where they could take over the closer role from day one? And what team would actually have an opening for them? So the one that comes to mind, and maybe it's self-serving because I've drafted him in all four of my early drafts, is uh, Robertson, David Robertson. I think not only did we see him close multiple spots last year, there's no reason why a team, I don't know, insert team here. Let's pick a team, the D-backs who need desperately need bullpen help and have the wide open spot there and not to mention teams like the D-backs the Reds the Pirates these teams will 
pick up a player like this on a two-year deal with the idea of trying to trade them or ride them out for a year and then trade them next year. We've seen it happen with Melanson and others in the past in, in a similar situation. So I think Robertson, considering he came off a pretty solid year with closing experience, should or could easily fill into one of these spots. And then you have teams like maybe a surprise team like the Brewers might trade away Devin Williams. Devin Williams, excuse me, I'm adding letters to his name. A team like that where they're selling when they shouldn't be, in my opinion. So maybe they sell, they already sold Hater. Maybe they sell off the other key to that bullpen and then they sign up Robertson because why not? It's a, it's like that. I feel like that's just the type of move they could make. That'd be like a weird surprise thing. I, I don't expect that, but that's the type of thing. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Type. Yeah. I think he's probably my favorite of the remaining, maybe him and Tyler Rogers, obviously, but him being a lefty, I feel more confident in Robertson being the righty. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, my, the targets that I, I would see, at least the teams that look like that might bring in a different arm to take over the closer role. Miami, Arizona, as you mentioned, are the two top two that kind of fit that bill for the exact reasons that you mentioned. Kevin, is there anybody on this list that you could see taking over a position that might be a little bit more of a surprise? I don't know if it'd be much of a surprise. I've been drafting Aroldis Chapman, and, and I could be wrong. He may not be playing baseball uh, in 2023, but if he is, he'll be a closer somewhere, I believe. I've been drafting him in several leagues. I agree with David Robertson. He could easily land a closer's job as well. Yeah, I, I'm i still drafting a role this Chapman for better or worse. I think it's more likely he does play 2023. And if he does, he'll be a closer somewhere. As long as it's in Major League Baseball and he doesn't go over to Japan or <laughs> That's the KPO. What I was say, just to mess with it. I was going to be like, you mean he's going to be pitching just in a different country? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go to the let's go over to Philadelphia. Some big names obviously being signed down there. Trey Turner getting the big contract that nobody was totally surprised to see him get. But they also added some pitching. Taiwan Walker joins their rotation. And then Matt Strom also joins their rotation question mark. He was known to kind of want to be a starter. That's what he was negotiating with Boston when he left there. And but he really Kevin, he got reliever money if you look at his contract for the amount. So what kind of role do you see Strom filling in Philadelphia? Do you think he actually gets to start, whether it's a part-time basis or is he gonna is he bound for the bullpen? I think he's in the bullpen to start, but with his pitch mix, they may allow him to stretch out over time and as the need arises, let him fill in the rotation. But I wouldn't plan on him being a starter and especially being in the rotation to begin the season. Yeah, you got to imagine he's not going to be in the mix for saves for them per se. If they, if he is in the bullpen, you had to assume he's going to be more of a, maybe not so much a long relief, but at least multi-inning position in that bullpen as well, just to keep him stretched out. Maybe that kind of gives him some appeasement to what he wants to do kind of Gives them in the ready for if they have to need a spot start or something like that. Keep them stretched out. Tywin Walker, obviously in their rotation as well. Looks like Bailey Falter is currently the number five if they don't make any other moves. But going over to Turner, Mike, you follow all these teams, lineup changes and the usage of players and whatnot. Is there any chance that Turner actually fills a bigger hole for the Phillies, even on a part-time basis? And that's, I'm talking about defensively in center field rather than playing shortstop, which I think is everybody's assumption, whether that's in 2023 or later on in this longer contract, do you view him as being able to move around and fill in those holes or is he strictly the shortstop for the Philadelphia Phillies? 
I look at him at least for the next three or four years as a shortstop. I think wasn't Turner a bit against moving off of shortstop when he went to LA the first time around or something like that. I remember there was talks or something like that. I feel like at least I feel like there was. So at the very least, I think in the short term, he's shortstop. But I could see him transitioning over to second as he ages. I mean, it just makes sense. And, so, you know, so, uh, with Segura out of town, Bryson Stott's the only other guy right there in the middle infield, and he's plugged into second base right now. So I think just out of just how the team is built, uh, those two manning the middle infield makes sense, just a matter of where. they And they could end up flip-flopping in a couple of years because I think Stott's here to stay as well. But, yeah, I get it. Brandon Marsh, they went and acquired him for a reason. I think he can handle it. So... Long, I could see Turner if he moves off shortstop, maybe a corner outfield spot or second base down the line. I feel like second base might be the most likely just because we've seen him play there the most, at least from what I can recall in the past. But yeah, right now, no reason to think otherwise in terms of shortstop. I don't think he's the leadoff hitter, though. I do think Kyle Schwarber is going to stick leading off. Maybe that's hot take or not. I don't know. But I mean, it's, we're talking very minimal impact, but I think Schwarber just fits that leadoff spot for them so well in terms of like the modern day leadoff man with that on base uh, ability that Turner can just slot right into that two spot Harper three when he's healthy. It's just a ridiculous lineup. Hoskins forward. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I made that. I made a, apparently the, the misinformed tweet of saying that Schwarber is no longer a leadoff guy, but then got a whole bunch of replies and obviously a couple other lineup trackers are have Schwarber still in there at the top of the order. When the man steals the base and gives America tacos for free, he, he earns it, right? He's got to, he's got to hold on. To I, I think Trey Turner in our heads is a prototypical leadoff man with the speed, the, the sure. potential to hit really well. And his on base skills aren't bad, but I think, just how baseball has changed one of the things is Schwarber being that on-base guy that although he's a little bit of a base clogging type I'd be surprised if Turner leads off I wouldn't be too surprised I just think Schwarber does it so well that it'd be surprising to move him off first off lead off I should say I, and I I don't I can't picture Turner in any other position except for the top two of the lineup and like I said we're nitpicking here it's it almost means nothing I just think I think it, this speaks to I think this speaks more to how good Schwarber is at being at the top of the lineup and should be projected more towards the top than anything else because some people might think Schwarber is more of a five hole hitter and I can see that but I do think Schwarber belongs at the top of the order with those on base skills so that's why it's more I guess this is more of a pro Schwarber take than anything else not saying this is not a way to poo on Turner at all <laughs> Sure. All right. Let's let's move down to Texas. They made a couple of additions to their rotation, Kevin. Of course, the big name, Jacob deGrom, signs a five-year deal there. And then also they add Andrew Heaney. So besides these two guys' impact on the rotation, I want to talk about really the back end of the rotation or guys that are actually going to possibly get kicked out of the rotation options that were in the rotation last year, at least at some point, that's Glenn Otto, Dane Dunning and the like. Are we still interested in any of these guys, assuming that DeGrom and Heaney aren't exactly the Baskins of health? Yeah, that's the thing. I'm not drafting these guys in redraft leagues, but definitely keeping an eye on them. You got DeGrom, Heaney, Odorizzi, he had 106 innings this season. He hasn't been the healthiest guy over the past few years either. So these guys will make starts for the Rangers if they're still on the roster at some point this season. Definitely keeping an eye on them and guess possibly looking at them very late in DCs. As we've talked over the past couple of seasons, we typically and maybe even more so going into 2023, like some of the more elite relievers that may not be in the closer role, making them available in those spots. But they're worth keeping an eye on, definitely. Yeah, I'm almost more interested in these guys 
if they're solidified in the bullpen in these long relief roles, or at least in these situations where they can do a little bit more damage in shorter stints. Mike, you've done a couple of drafts already, at least one DC that we finished up about last week. What's your take on who, what kind of a pitcher are you targeting in the later rounds? We're talking 35, 40, 45, fifth round of a DC guys like, like a fifth starter on a bad team who you think is going to eat up innings or are you more targeting relievers that can put up maybe not the volume, but they can still, you trust them a little bit more if you have to put them in your lineup. I like to mix it up, but I don't really like you right now. You took Joey Ortiz from me and I'm still annoyed, I'm still annoyed by that because I went into two of my early drafts thinking, okay, he's one of the reasons why I want, it. I want him in the late rounds. He went 42nd round and 41st round. I'm like, he's like a 45th plus round guy and he got bumped up both my drafts. I got him in one place. I'm targeting him in this last DC. I'm in, I'm taking a break until after the holidays after this. At least I tell myself that. Yeah, of course. But anyway, <laughs> back to the question at hand. In terms of just pitchers, honestly, I mix it up. I try to just... I try to project forward a little better this year. Last year, I was playing it too safe. And I was like, this is what they have. This is what's going to stay without realizing, hey, there's some solid guys in AAA, some solid depth pieces, some guys that could be back end, number six starters that fill in the plug in as needed. I try to find guys more of a long relief role or even guys just, I think, will give me innings because sometimes just having innings in these formats is all you need to be a difference making team and compete so i will tar i have no problem taking what's there essentially between either one if i have a preference i guess i'll take the guy that i think will get me more innings overall with win potential and that would be a starter on a bad team like a bryce wilson type i believe is technically projected to start i haven't actually targeted him so it's actually bad yeah. <laughs> that's actually a bad suggestion but honestly i end up i realize i end up favoring i try to get more depth in pitching a little early before these rounds and then i'll get more of the prospect types guys that like high triple a types maybe double A that could start in triple A, maybe make a second half impact like a Jack Leiter. Those guys I've noticed myself getting more of because I'm trying to project forward while also targeting guys that could give me more than just meh production. Sure. So it's in the middle. I have no problem settling for these though. The reliever types, they have value, especially like Alex Lang, who could actually get close up closes, who can actually get saves for the for the Tigers, because why not? It's the Tigers. <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, Joe Jimenez goes late, another guy that was getting saves for the Tigers and probably gets end up getting, ends up getting dealt at some point. It's one of those things where you can get both those guys after pick 500 kind of in these rounds that you're talking about that can provide some type of value just as a bullpen piece or maybe sneaky save options too. You brought up a good point. It really depends on how you're building your team throughout the early parts of your draft and what kind of depth you have, what kind of injury risk you have. I think I would prefer the reliever types when I have that I know are going to get into games. They might not give me the volume, but they'll be able to fill in when needed. If I have a rotation, an early rotation in the early parts of the draft, that's a little bit they could get hurt early or I'm not I'm worried about their matchups early on based on the schedule and stuff like that but the innings maybe if I have a little bit of a say safer situation I might go after the guys that are going to eat up more innings and hopefully they fill in they they take the right turn that they're that you're hoping for there's one more thing about this Rangers situation that really piques my interest with this new starting rotation as it appears I think I, they still may sign some more guys, but I think the Rangers are going into 2023 with the belief that Jose Leclerc is their closer. And when he got his first save of his seven on the season, as of August 14th, from there on out, he had a 174 ERA and 30 strikeouts in 20 innings to end the season. 
So if he's the closer with that starting rotation and the additions they've made to their offensive lineup, I got to bump him up at least a tier in the closer ranks. Yeah, absolutely. As long as he doesn't go back to walking every other batter that he faces. (laughs) They do like that in Texas, apparently. They like their closers to walk as many guys as they can. We'll see if he can take that turn away from that. All right. So we mentioned, I mentioned that the Rangers signed Jacob DeGrom. So that left a bit, pretty big hole in New York for the Mets and they filled it with Justin Verlander. They also lost the aforementioned Taiwan Walker. And so they filled that with Jose Quintana. They, they kind of filled those two holes. They haven't filled the Chris Bassett hole. Don't know if they will or not. They are still in apparently on, on Kodai Senga as well. So we'll see what kind of comes from that. But for now, we know that Justin Verlander and Jose Quintana are with the Mets. They replaced Jacob DeGrom and Taiwan Walker. Mike, what does the rest of the Mets rotation look like? I It's a solid one. I hate that the Mets are good. I hate that they're the <laughs> owner that they spend. You have to remember, I as a Marlins fan, honestly, the Marlins... I, Yesterday was deflating, and I'm going to go off on another tangent because that's what I do best. But when you see when you see the GM come out and say, "Yeah, we were interested in this player, and oh, this player I, oh, too," it yes. was Bell, Bellinger and Bell. I'm like, instantly came to mind was Captain Hindsight from South Park. So I, of course, I quote you with that. So I'm like. <laughs> Yeah. You know what they sound like? That person at every home league draft. It's, oh, I wanted them too. Oh, great pick. That's who I wanted. (laughs) But you could have taken them around before, just like you could have sucked up and paid up the cost that it cost them. You know what I mean? That was their, that was the cost. And it wasn't like it's a lot. You're sitting on your coin purses here, Miami. So it was aggravating because it's all, it was like one of those, do what you want to give us false hope. You think we're buying the BS? No, we're not. This, we realized that you're not going to pay anything. Come on. Like the money wasn't all that much at all, all the, especially for Miami who has so much money that, but doesn't want to spend. Oh, and these are short-term deals as well. Yes. It's like, what are you risking? One year of Bellinger that doesn't work out? Oh no. Come on. For what? Oh, you have to come up 18 mil for one year? You're going to spend 18 mil on three pieces you end up sending down or trading off for nothing anyway. It's ridiculous. Anyway, back to the Mets because they're actually a team that wants to win. I think, unfortunately, Quintana's really solid. And obviously, you saw the production change with a change of pitch mix as well. So there's some tangible change there, backing the changes that he produced. And the ratios were there, as well as the underlying metrics that suggest the ratios are sustainable or were sustainable last year, at least, for Quintana. It gets a bump in terms of lineup support. The, but obviously, the division doesn't really matter as much with the changing of the schedules. It's not as big of a factor. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I think, unfortunately, Verlander, DeGrom, the short term, pretty similar. DeGrom's obviously the best pitcher in baseball, but health is the, a huge wild card with him. Losing Bassett is a big deal. They still have Carrasco. They have better depth this year, having Peterson and McGill at the back end there. One's going to end up being a swing man, you know, and there's going to be injuries and rest days. So I don't think they're done. I think they're going to go out and get one more starter. They're already in the Cohen tax, so to speak. So because they're already there, there's no point in turning back. I don't think they're done. I don't know if they go out and get Rodon, so to speak, but I do think that they end up going out and getting another depth piece because they've realized you need depth at starting pitcher. At one point, what McGill was the ace at one point. Like you had people injured off rip last year for this team. Ultimately, I think last year's initial, like at least the Grom, Scherzer, Bassett, I think that was a stronger three, but I do think... Right now, they're starting to fill those gaps, and they're going to end up being a solid depth rotation with those two guys anchoring the top of it. Kevin, do you see this uh, moving the needle on Quintana specifically now that he has a home and a home on a, on a winning team, presumably? He, he's been going. He has dipped 
He's gone all over the place in drafts throughout the month. He's got an ADP of 360 since drafts that have start, concluded November 1st. Most recently, getting picked around pick 304, 325. Do you see this putting pushing him over the all the way up to pick 300? Or is it something that you're going to be going after? Unfortunately, I do. And I say unfortunately because I've been grabbing him. <laughs> and unfortunately, I think this does bump the price up a little bit. I've been perfectly happy grabbing him even at the end of gladiator drafts without knowing the landing spot this is a great spot i believe for those places i've already grabbed him but yes definitely i think unfortunately for those of us that have already been drafting him the price is going up yeah if you're looking at him like i said he's going 360 as an adp right now in most recent drafts right after josiah gray right before Cody Morris in Cleveland. So he's like this elder statesman in this group of uh, younger <laughs> younger arms. And I could see him jumping up closer to the Mike Clevengers of the world, or let's say even Taiwan Walker, who is going up closer to 300 mark on the overall ADP. All right, well, let's uh, really quickly, we got Clayton Kershaw. He stays with the Dodgers. Kevin, was there really any doubt that he was going to go anywhere else? Not really. I think there was more of a doubt last season. I think after him coming back with the one-year deal, last season for 2022 I felt like that's what would happen again so yeah no not really any doubt after him he made the trip back last year yeah yeah that's really it. I, I actually saw this come through I'm like didn't he already sign yeah, I, was, I thought that same <laughs> I thought thing. he I signed thought like he already did yeah like right away but he's still in LA he, there's a possibility he pitches a little bit more at least they push him a little bit harder just because they have their own holes in their rotation which is not something you normally talk about with the Dodgers whether he holds up to that or his ratios stand firm if he gets on the higher end of his innings pitch mark that he we've seen in the last couple of years we'll have to wait and see on that one but that's Clean Kershaw in in a Dodgers uniform is what you expect to see. And I think that's probably good for baseball in general. All right, we got a lot more to talk about and we're going to get right back into it. But first, we're going to take this quick break. Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back. You're still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined by Kevin Hastings, and we are lucky to be joined by Mike Curlin. Mike you uh, talked to us before uh, before we started recording that you started making a little video on Cody Bellinger going to the Cubs. So that's the next one I got. I want to talk to you about. Uh, they also added Jameson Tyon to their rotation. What are the Cubs doing here? Cubs are picking up where they left off last offseason. Went out and got Suzuki, Stroman. They doubled down now, getting Tyon. They have a... I feel like the rotation isn't terrible for the Cubs. It's just full of mediocrity. And sure. <laughs> that's not bad considering when you look at the rest of this division because you have uh, 
you have the Brewers who are again selling for no reason with one of the best rotations, and then but their offense is getting real, real, real bad, real quick. I don't think Winker is going to suddenly save them. Then you have what the Reds and the Pirates. Like this division, other than the Cardinals who made a big splash right before we started recording, getting Contreras. So I don't know if we can talk about that. Oh, your XX is actually next on the rundown. Go figure. <laughs> I totally read that. This is one of those things where. The Cardinals are kind of the main top of this division. They got stronger. It's a really, really strong team, but that's it. And there's no reason why with the expanded playoffs that the if the Cubs make a few more moves, suddenly they're at least competitive. And that's honestly, and no one can get mad. No one, people just need to stop getting mad at these teams. <laughs> I'm so sick of hearing people complain about the Cubs spending money or getting these players. I'm so sick of hearing people complain about the uh, the sign, Bellinger signing. It's dude, who cares? They're spending money. Like we want baseball. We want teams to spend money. We want teams to compete. When teams finally do, people complain. Like Rangers are one of the biggest spenders for two straight off seasons. That's amazing. No one saw this coming. I think it's amazing for baseball and great for the players. Good. Go get your money, guys. But it's just frustrating. It's, yeah, sure. You, like, we can make jokes about them not competing, but who cares? Let's just enjoy the fact that, hey, not every team is being complete sellouts and trying to make a quick buck on their team. And these teams are still making money that are like they're not just losing money they're making these are investments they're making they're still making money on at the end of the day that's why i get frustrated but at the end of the day i'm going back to again i'm full of tangents because i'm very it's so much going on but it's just it's also there's so much frustrating things behind the scenes that we don't talk about enough sometimes but yeah i think the cubs they're it's a step in the right direction i just don't know when it comes especially when it comes to bellinger the dodgers couldn't fix them and when a dodge when the dodgers can't do something i have a hard time believing another team will be able to Oh, we're seeing him tinker with his stance. We've seen that before. So many times. <laughs> he does that. He tinkers and tinkers. He tinkers himself in and out that it's very difficult to buy into that being a positive thing. It does look clean. Like the mechanics are cleaner for sure already. But will that translate? It's hard to say. New, new atmosphere, new mechanics. But should we not expect the same results right now until for, proven otherwise? That's where I'm at. Like I have a hard time believing he's suddenly going to be better. But he's on a one-year prove-it deal. So we'll see. I do. I don't get me wrong. I do think he's making changes to address these mechanical issues. I do like that he gets a fresh start. These are positives, but I don't think he deserves to be pushed up to ADP because of it is what I'm getting at. Bellinger, that is, I'm speaking about. Yeah, and uh, Bellinger has, when's the last year of his arbitration? Is this his last year of arbitration? I think so. Obviously, he doesn't get arbitration because he just signed a contract with them, but it looks like he's got, they've got a mutual option the Cubs do with him for 2024. So we'll see how that kind of, how that works itself out. But I would venture to guess that even if this is his opportunity to, his last opportunity really, to prove he's tinkered enough to get him back to where he was when he started his major league career and get him back to a situation where he could sign a longer term deal and be done with it. But I venture to guess he's going to need more than one cushion, one pillow deal to force that issue. I think you'll probably get another one next year, even if it is just that mutual option and he stays with the Cubs next year. If they don't trade him, that's the other side of this coin. All right, as you, as Mike mentioned, Wilson Contreras, formerly of the Cubs, moving along right before we started recording this, it went final. He got a five-year deal from St. Louis, replacing Yadier Molina behind the dish there. Kevin, I'm going to go ahead and assume he's going to see less plate appearances in St. Louis than he did with the Cubs, and that's with his injury history on top of the fact that the Cardinals just have a lot of mouths to feed in the DH spot. Where share that sentiment, and if so, like where, how does that move your rankings of him when you're considering the catcher position in these drafts? No, I think he was already in that spot due to different concern plate appearances down in more the four to four, four hundred to four hundred and fifty plate appearances for me. So I don't think I'm adjusting that 
too much with this. I agree with the thought in general. I just wasn't giving him what we saw in 2020 on a prorated basis after the last mm -hmm. couple of seasons of missing out. So I agree with that in general. I just think when it comes to reality, I'm going to assume he's as healthy as any other catcher that has had issues he's had in the past if that makes sense not that there aren't concerns just like with a lot of them but I yeah he's in that 400 to 450 plate appearance tier for me which is what we expect from most catchers we got a few that we expect more from and that's why those few are being drafted ahead of him sure and then the other elephant in the room is moving to St. Louis, obviously going to be a, a decent downgrade in park factors as far as the offensive side goes, going from the from Wrigley to Bush Stadium. Is this Bush Stadium 3, Bush Stadium 2? I was, I, always, I always consider Bush Stadium as like the snowball from the Sim snowball cat from the Simpsons. There's the same cat over and over, but they just add a number to the end of it. The other side of this, though, is it ties up more of the catcher market between where Contreras is going to go and then as we talked about probably at least once every episode for the last three weeks, we have Sean Murphy, who has been rumored to be on the move like every day for the last two weeks. Do you, what do you see his market going, Mike, as far as now that there's one less uh, kind of player in that market? Do you see Murphy actually being traded sooner now that it's cleared up a little bit? I feel like the teams that were rumored and linked to Murphy weren't even linked to Contreras. It's a weird I don't like what teams, I'm trying to remember what teams were linked to, oh, like the Braves and stuff. It's it's intriguing. I could see his price going up a little bit, but at the end of the day, I think the same teams that were in on Murphy outside of one team are still going to be very much in. But you're right. It could. I think you're right in the fact that it could push this to happen sooner because now you're right. The main competitor for a deal or for the attention of the catcher position is gone. Murphy brings that defensive side of things to a team as well that often gets overlooked when it comes to fantasy, which is why Sean Murphy will play a ton wherever he goes and still be a, a solid contributor. Just no matter where he goes, he's going to get a slight ding in plate appearances. Like, dude played, what, 100? Off the top of my head, I think it was 148 games, 600, just over 600 plate appearances. But he had 37 doubles. So you got to think those doubles, some of those doubles turned to home runs. and Outside of the Coliseum, oh, sure. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> better, better team context overall should also help him. So there's give and take here. I think at the end of the day, though, Murphy's still going to be a strong fantasy catcher. And I do think that he should get moved probably sooner than later, especially now, because there's still a need like a team like the Astros make too much sense not to go in there and just go for him. Yeah, the Astros obviously have a hole at catcher unless they're going to bring up one of their one of their prospects that they want to bring up. But we'll see where that goes there. I'm going to jump around here just because we started talking about the A's a little bit. I'm going to stick with that. They actually have guaranteed contracts on the books now, which is something that's new for them this offseason. They signed Jace Peterson and Aldemis Diaz to two-year deals each. They, As I said, they are the only guaranteed contract for the A's right now. Mike, do they actually play to by default since they're the only players on the team? This is ridiculous. Sally, <laughs> they've made more moves than a couple other teams like the Nats and the Marlins. And so who am I to judge? We, it's the same song and dance every year. They go for the bargain bin. They grab a few names that can be relevant. They're going to have relevance because in the deepest of leagues, there's playing time, but they're not going to do much for you. They have some interesting names in terms of prospects and stuff, but I think, honestly, I'm hoping for Sean Murphy to move sooner than later so we get Langoliers with catcher eligibility. That's that's why I'm looking at like how this can benefit me, like looking at who's <laughs> going to leave and who's going to get that playing time. I feel like Kevin Crone's going to be a thing. All of a sudden, they signed him, and it's too minor league deal, but it's the A's who's stopping them from putting him in and seeing what happens. Could we get a Seth Brown 2.0 type of year about a Crone? Like, that's where I'm at. This team's just ridiculous. Like It's laughable because at least the other teams, I mean, with Nats, Marlins, the Pirates even, 
these teams at least have legitimate big leaguers. These guys have legitimate backups, but starting for them. So that's where I get frustrating. It's like they there's bargain bin shopping like the pirates are doing. And then there's these guys are picking up bargains of the almost like the 25 cent pile of Walmart, which I don't even know if that exists, but you get my point. It's like there's a dollar bin and they still say, you know what? We'll take the open and damaged dollar bin stuff. That's what they're doing. And that's why it's like, what the heck's going on here, man? That, see, I did this last year and I did, to a lesser extent, I'm doing it again this year in DCs and later rounds. If I'm looking for plate appearances, I'm looking oh, yeah. at the ace. I'm looking at ace players that probably will be in the starting lineup because th- their nine guys will be in the starting lineup. And you'll get at least plate appearance. You'll get volume and you'll get somebody that you can fill in if you're like the first three guys on your depth chart are all injured and you need a warm body just to get some stats in there. All right, let's go back up to the AL Central. I don't know if we hit it. It might be the first time we're talking about an AL Central team. But the Cleveland Guardians actually make a move. They're making moves where the Marlins are not. Sorry, Mike. They're signing Josh Bell to contracts to play first base for them. Kevin, who's who's going to lose at bats with Josh Bell playing and assuming he's being he's going to be brought into play every day for the Guardians? Yeah, I think there, there's a little bit of talk about Josh Naylor may lose a few at-bats, and that could be the case. But I think the big Big loss here is for Will Brennan, at least to start the season. Josh Bell and Josh Naylor split in time at first base and designated hitter. Josh Naylor may sit versus some lefties, but Will Brennan's a left-handed hitter too. So he's really going to lose out here. I just keep picturing because now they have a Josh Bell, a Josh Naylor, and a Bo Naylor on the roster. Like one of those weird Pictionary, like <laughs> you can, where they connect all the words. So it's just Josh Bo Naylor on the team. That does nothing for me when I'm considering my drafts, but uh, it's funny. I, it, I think that'll be one of my side projects this year in draft season. I'm going to try to get Josh Bell, Josh Naylor, and Bo Naylor all on the same team and see how that works out. So I have a good team name. Yeah, I think it was interesting. We we joked about it <laughs> with Sean a couple of weeks ago. He's not going to get that apology from Nick because they sent, I think, Kevin, you said like the, the Guardians spent their money on Josh Bell that they were supposed to spend on Wilson Contreras, at least as far as Sean was <laughs> considering. Yep, yep. All right, let's see. Next two kind of paired together. San Francisco, they get the kind of consolation prize, if you will, in the outfield. They sign Mitch Haniger instead of Arson Judge to a contract. Mike, the, the Giants are known, at least in recent history, to be platooning as many guys as possible to get the most out of individuals in their strong suits. But is with this three-year deal and being a kind of a hometown guy, Mitch Haniger, is he platoon-proof in San Francisco? And if so, like how many plate appearances do you actually expect to see out of him in 2023? I feel like he's at least platoon proof to begin because you don't go out and sign him. And it's like one of the bigger signings I feel like they've made in the last few years. And they've, they signed him. They signed Hanniger with the intent of having a middle of the order bat. Plus, I don't know. I think Hanniger is just going to do Hanniger things. I don't see. He's a career 255 hitter against righties. It's not like he struggles against them. He hits better against lefties, obviously. But let's see what else. The two in terms of being a career hitter against righties, a 118 WRC plus. A 795 OPS, so it's not terrible. Not obviously you would want you want a little more, but at the end of the day, if you're getting 795 OPS out of a guy, you don't have to worry about platooning. It takes away from them having to have that extra bat on the bench and all that. So I think Hanniger, all it is for him is a matter of being healthy. He's gonna hit in the middle of the order. I think he's pretty platoon proof. And I forgot the second OPAs. That's it, it really comes down to health, but there's no reason why 550 to 600 isn't within the realm of possibilities. 
uh, easily 600 again healthy because we saw him get 691 in 157 games in 2021 so Haniger, i don't know if he'll be able to repeat that obviously because i was playing every single day for the seattle mariners but realistically if he plays 145 140 i think 600 550 five, 550 and 600 is a fair realistic expectation so what 250 close to 30 home runs, maybe even hit 30, even in that park is the powers. It's not a question of if the power is going to play. So what, 28 home runs? We'll say he'll do what Brandon Belt, we always helped, we've always wished Brandon <laughs> Belt to do. He'll, he'll be what the Giants needed from Brandon Belt all these years. You know what I mean? Mitch Hanger is going to be that guy. But here's the thing, outfield is so bad. Give me Mitch Hanniger on every team at his current cost, just because you're getting him at such a discount in terms of where he's, how, because of, and I can't talk apparently. Like <laughs> You're getting him in terms of a discount in terms of the position. Like outfield is bad this year. It's not deep at all. You can get Hanniger with outfield eligibility and potential for 30 home runs, which you can't say that combination for a lot of players, mm-hmm. especially the 30 home runs these days. That's like a solid number that a lot of players can't get to right now. So I'm liking that. I'll take the 250 batting average with a close to 30 home run output as long as he stays healthy. And I'm willing to take the risk because, again, outfield is really bad. <laughs> All right, like I said, Hanniger is kind of the consolation prize in San Francisco. They did not sign Aaron Judge. He stays with the Yankees. What, Kevin, what is there more to say about Judge with the Yankees? We know what he's done. We expect what we'll see, at least in 2023. He doesn't really move the needle as far as where you're going to draft him. But monetarily, this is a lot of money, for the even for the Yankees to kind of handcuff to one player. Does With a $40 million AAV, does this handcuff them from adding another big name, at least on the offensive side? Uh, of the ball namely i'm looking at the rumors of them maybe going after one of the bigger shortstops in the game and if, if so who's their starting shortstop come opening day yeah it shouldn't deter them and yankees fans believe that more than anyone but not the biggest spenders in new york anymore and probably won't be for some time and the yankees have been for different reasons whether it's a luxury tax threshold or for other reasons have been more thrifty with their payroll dollars over the past several years. This is nothing new. So it's a little surprising to me that they even made this deal. But the fact that they did, I do think does mean they're out on the high price free agent shortstops. I think we're looking at Oswald Peraza going into 2023. They still have IKF there to move around the infield. And I think, yes, they're pretty much done, at least on the offensive side. Yeah, I say he signed a $6 million contract to avoid arbitration, which I believe is his final year of arbitration as well. So that doesn't really force their hand to make him a starter. It's not enough money to force him into the starting lineup, but it's also not chump change either. So it's not enough where you're just going to cut him and what have you. So I think he has a potential of being that, starting shortstop to start the season personally at least or at the very least be able to play on a somewhat everyday basis especially with the, the news dj lemayu is looking at some additional off-season surgery going into prior to spring training there's always question marks with his health at least it seems like in every off-season at least all right pittsburgh also making deals surprise and not just at first base congratulations they have moved on to a different position they brought in vince velasquez to their pitching squad good for him simple as that he found the job probably a full-time in a rotation do you see it any other way mike is this somebody that you'd be interested in knowing that he probably has a defined role 
And do you see him possibly being next year's like Jose Quintana, where he does well enough on the Pirates for them to trade him to a good situation? Uh, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> no. Here's the thing about Velasquez. I've stopped chasing that dream back in like 2019. That's the last year I was like, oh, this is the year. He didn't put it together. I feel like he still would make a solid high leverage reliever, but then he didn't even do that. I don't know how he does a reliever last year. I know he did. He threw in relief last year for a good amount of time, but I just, I don't, he's good in those deep leagues. We talk, remember how you mentioned targeting innings late? This is a great guy to get in those formats. But other than that, I, I don't, I, I just, I, I got nothing. As a reliever last year, he had a full run ERA less than as a starter in the same amount of innings pitched. So that's kind of, but they were both over four. I've got nothing, man. He's just, it's just one of those things where it's like the potential was just, it was there and he just never lived up to it. Is there always a chance for him to be the next type of like that Quintana where he takes that step for like good half a year, good year, whatever? Sure. Do I believe it's going to happen? No. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm just i'm defeated because like i used to believe in him i used to target him he used to be a guy i always wanted on he was pavetta before pavetta oh sure that's yeah that's like, pavetta though <laughs> yeah that's the thing and pavetta flashed enough last year to be like yep, this year. Yep. just keep you dangling over the shark pit but it hasn't quite dropped you in all the way i, I have a leg missing and a yeah. foot, like, other foot's like kind of nibbled at yeah that's where i'm at but you're alive all right the other noise that around surrounding pittsburgh is brian reynolds apparently has requested a trade i don't know if demanded is the right word but he's at least requested a trade away from the pirates due to the fact that they've been stalled on negotiations for a long-term deal to keep him in Pittsburgh. Kevin, do you think that Pittsburgh actually will actually make this trade that I think all of us have been rumoring about for the last like three seasons? I don't know if it actually will happen, but I really hope it does. Talking about a guy in what was considered somewhat of a disappointing year, mainly because of the bad at batting average came down in 2022, down to 262 from his 302 that he put up in 2021. We're talking about 27 home runs and seven stolen bases with an above average batting average. That is amazing. The RBIs and runs on the low side because of that Pittsburgh lineup, just about anywhere he lands. And we're looking at least at these steamer projections currently at 83 RBI and over 90 runs, almost a floor if he lands in just about any other ballpark and lineup. So I hope it happens. I really have no idea whether it will or not. Would you be drafting him? With that in mind, like we talked about this with Sean Murphy a couple of weeks ago. We're drafting Sean Murphy based on he's not an Oakland athletic anymore. He's Absolutely. somewhere else. I have been with both of them. I haven't got him everywhere and even where I've liked because I think a lot of other people are doing the same thing. But yeah, I am drafting him as if at least with the hope, not the expectation, but with the hope they are moving anywhere but where they currently are. Mike, I'm going to give you an either or, and I think this will be a quick for you. Same kind of question. Are you drafting Brian Reynolds in general? Are you drafting him thinking he's not going to be on the Pirates next year? And then who would you rather have? Eloy Jimenez, who's going right before him in ADP, or Brian Reynolds? Well, yeah, I set that one up pretty specifically. Yes, because if, <laughs> if there's anything I've been vocal about this early offseason is my love and belief in Eloy Jimenez. So that is going to be Eloy for me every time. And that, this is coming from a guy who was very pro Brian Reynolds last year and got burned by it because they just didn't trade him like I hoped. So maybe I'm like a scorned lover and I refuse to like, I'm just afraid to get hurt again. But I'm not really fading Reynolds. I just haven't ended up with him. And it's mostly because 
I'm address I'm getting you a little earlier. It's that simple. Or I'm addressing other needs. I've realized that Reynolds is in a good spot. I'm okay with the price right now. But in my early drafts, I haven't found myself going out of my way to get them like I had for Eloy because Eloy, I'm by that's a whole other discussion. There's it's just a whole other discussion. It's, I can do I can do like a five minute dissertation on Eloy Jimenez, but uh, just follow. It comes down to it comes down to I believe he's going to stay healthy. Um, there's a lot of reasons why. Most of the reasons why is because of the DH and the usage that they showed in the second half, willing to DH him and they kept him healthy and he produced. Paired with the elite power upside, so he gives you a stat where we can't. That is not easy to come by right now. And again, there's more to it than that, but those are the big two things. So yes, long story short, long story longer, I should say. Give me Eloy, but I'm not opposed to drafting Reynolds either. Yeah. For more information on Eloy Jimenez, or at least how Mike used that, make sure you're following him on the Twitter at Mike <laughs> underscore Curlin. You'll have plenty of good content in that regard there. All right. We only that's it for the signings. I want to close out really quickly, guys. Uh, get your take because this happened. This was a trade that happened literally like a couple hours after we finished recording our last episode, Kevin, that was the Jesse Winker, Abraham Toro being traded to Milwaukee in for Colton Wong and some cash going from the Brewers to Seattle. Does Winker actually have an opportunity to redeem himself in Milwaukee, Kevin? Will he be given the chance by the Brewers? I think he'll get the chance. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be interesting to see. I know we're excited about some of the young outfielders coming for the Brewers. We've talked about them on multiple occasions already this offseason. But I think, yeah, due to what he's already done at the major league level, Winker has a leg up on these guys, at least to start the season. Yeah, I wonder of all the offseason stuff or all the rumors about his personality in the clubhouse are going to carry over or if they were true to begin with. You don't always know any of that stuff unless you're actually on the team and you actually spend time with them. All those rumors of him just not having good work ethic and what have you. So we'll see how that plays itself out in a much better hitting environment, at least with the park factors in Milwaukee. Going over to Abraham Toro, Mike, do you see him actually playing every day now that kind of there's a opening at second base to an extent i'm gonna i think toro could start the year helping out in that area with second base but i am a huge bryce terrain guy i've gone i this last draft i was in he got taken way way earlier than i've ever had to even consider him so i was a little upset but i have him in three out of my four drafts for a reason i thought that this wall i already saw this long trade in the works we all talked about this we all heard rumors about this i should say a couple like a couple weeks ago so it had me, I was really in on training before and people might not even realize he's not even on a lot of prospect lists for some reason, but he had a solid year last year and he's MLB ready. He did all that. He had all his production at the highest level in AAA, or at least I think some part might be partially AA, but definitely AAA. So Terang comes up and he's on the 40 man. So that part of the, that part of the equation is already factored in as well. I think Terang is the guy that ends up taking over if he doesn't break camp, but I don't see Toro being the long-term fix there, but yes, Technically, there is a spot for him right now. I just don't buy into it being a long-term spot. Everyday type of thing, sure. Yeah, a lot of talk about Terrain in recent days and weeks, especially after this trade. Not a lot of talk about Estre Ruiz being an option at second base as being one of his positions coming over from San Diego. So I guess there's another mouth to feed or at least another option that the Brewers have in that situation. I don't see, know that he's ready. I agree with that based on the stats that you see and just seeing him play. But I don't see Terrain as being one of those players that a team feels like they have to have on the opening day roster for possibility of winning National League Rookie of the Year. I don't see that being that he, that type of player. So I don't see him breaking camp. I see him being more of a yeah somebody that comes up later on in the season. 
might be early. It might just be simple three weeks later and then he's up. I was say, whenever yeah. the date, whenever the yeah, date the is, Chris like, rule. The yeah, yeah. It's the Chris yeah. Bryant rule. That that would probably be the situation unless you know, like unless Toro just runs with it somehow or somebody else fills that role. And then on the other side of that, Kevin, we have Seattle has a new one-two punch up the middle. We have J.P. Crawford staying at shortstop as of right now. And then Colton Wong, assuming he stays healthy, should be their starting second baseman. Is that their opening day double play team in Seattle? I doubt it. I think they go get a mate. They're going to do something at shortstop, I think. And I'm being a little careful with Colton Wong, although you're not really missing anything. I think Colton Wong and Dylan Moore is going to be a strict platoon. Colton Wong, OPS, 845 versus righty in the 400s versus lefties, and he hit 138. Dylan Moore with a 137 WRC plus versus lefties. I think this is a strict platoon for Seattle. So you got to be a little bit careful here. Colton Wong had all but one of his home runs (laughs) versus righties, 14 out of 15. 57 of his 65 runs scored. So you're not missing a lot, and you're getting a better batting average. Just be careful on the plate appearances that you are planning on with Colton Wong. I think this is going to be a strict platoon. And possibly if it does turn into a strict platoon, like you mentioned, it may do enough to keep Wong healthy. So at least when he is expected to have plate appearances, he'll actually get them. And maybe you don't lose out his production for long periods of time like we saw last year and the year before that. All right, I'm glad we were able to touch on that one since it happened right after we were done recording. Those were all the moves, and I double-checked my wire to make sure nothing came in while we were uh, while we were discussing. There's more rumors revolving around the Red Sox actually neg- trying to negotiate with Xander Bogarts, which is a step in the right direction as a Sox fan. So I will I'll believe it when I see it type of thing there. But still a lot of questions remain. A lot has gone down during these winter meetings. We still don't have a home for two of the better pitchers on the market, Carlos Rodon. He was spotted in Baltimore and supposedly rumored that he might like pitching for the Orioles based on where they're going with that team. Yankees are still in on him as well. Chris Bassett doesn't have a home, but you got to venture to guess that if they're not going to bring back Taiwan Walker, they couldn't afford to even give him the qualifying offer, whether or not they're going to be going after Chris Bassett or moving on to Kode Senga or somebody else. Masataka Yoshida was officially posted and will be available to whoever wins that bidding war there. So that he got, he's got to stay on that for 30 days. So we won't know his location until mid-January, probably maybe mid or late January, depending on how long it takes to negotiate that contract. He's somebody that I've been grabbing in just about every draft, even my gladiator drafts with the assumption that he's going to get signed and he's going to be signed in an everyday role. Do you do either one of you guys have any pushback on that or cold water to throw on that situation? No, not really. <laughs> oh, all right, cool. I appreciate that. <laughs> I will con- to me. I will continue drafting him then at his current costs in drafts, of course. He's been my second to last player I drafted in my most recent Gladiator drafts. Yeah, and we still have a couple of big name shortstops on the market. Hopefully we'll be able to talk about at least one or multiple of them on our next show, Kevin. Otherwise, I think that's going to do it for us. Mike, thanks for thanks for joining us, man. Kind of last second. I kept you a little longer than we said, and I appreciate you <laughs> getting as much in there as possible. Besides the projects that may be going to the wayside, what else can you let everybody else know what you were working on? Besides the project that I came up short on, as always, no stuff happens. It is what it is. Honestly, I'll, I think most people forgive me because this offseason. Oh God, it's been crazy, but in a good way. I'll do my best to catch up on it. But uh, anyway, yeah, obviously, I'm, I actually I'm not sure I'm even supposed to 
I've not, I've never, I haven't been given word from all to mention it, but the athletic threw together a, a magazine. So I wrote for that. That should be out in stores soon. Again, I haven't even mentioned it on Twitter because I don't know if I'm supposed to, I don't know the rules. If I get in trouble, so be it. It's not a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal, but because obviously why wouldn't they want it promoted? Right. So there's yep. that coming out. I wrote four, I think four articles for that. Obviously gaining the edge of the YouTube, the YouTube channel at patreon.com slash GTE fantasies where you can find it. Discord rankings route, Simeon, SP streamers on there, a part of it, and his top four, 243. I asked him why that number. He won't make it 250 for me. But so he has a top 243 pictures <laughs> with blurbs and all that already out. I'm like, geez, it's December and I've seen more content from all of us than ever before. So we're obviously all hustling, but a really fun project we're working on, group project. And yeah, that's, I think that's it. The athletic and GT, I act like it's not a lot, but it's a lot. It's keeping me busy. I've been doing stuff while podcasting today with you too. I appreciate the random number of players in a ranking list yes. rather than just like a top 100 or 150 oh, or something like that. But 243? Like the guess, two- it's like an Easter egg. You got to figure out where Mike's mind is and where, where he came up with that. <laughs> He's one of my best friends and I hate the guy so much, but it's out of love that I hate him. No, fair. That's where all the best hate comes from. Love. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> all right. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of On The Wire. We'll be back throughout the off season, sometimes on Sundays, sometimes on random days, if a lot of stuff happens and we need to talk about it. So please make sure that you're subscribing, sharing, reviewing the podcast, wherever you're listening. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. Once again, thank our guest, Mike Curlin, for joining us. You should be followed on the Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin on the Twitter again. And after all that, I am Adam Howe on behalf of Kevin Hastings. Thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye. Goodbye.